It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons for an authentic Italian meal. And speaking of St. Simons, don't forget about our next Billy C. Boxing event, our big extravaganza taking place September 13th, 14th, and 15th at the Sea Palms Resort. Uh, I know it sounds like a long way away, but you got to make plans now. We're going to have a golf tournament, a fishing tournament, a meet and greet that you'll be able to meet and hang out with some former world champions and maybe some other celebs, uh, which will uh, have some food there for you, a cash bar, the whole nine. Uh, we're also going to have a fight night. Uh, we're also going to have a birthday party for this show. Uh, it's our 15th year. Uh, memorabilia show. All kinds of stuff happening. You're not going to want to miss it. We include everything but lodging because you have uh, many options uh, on the uh, Golden Isles uh, as well as uh, uh, Brunswick. So uh, we're going to leave that up to you so you and your family or friends or whoever you come down with uh, get the best uh, opportunities. But uh, get on the list. Drop me an email right now. Billy at Talking Boxing. T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And if you do need a place, I recommend a Holiday Inn property. Why? Because you get a Billy C. discount. That's right. Just call toll-free 844-603-0364. 844-603-0364. And get the Billy C. discount. Or if you're like me and can't remember phone numbers, just click on the banner, which is on uh, BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, and finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Men on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now where you're watching or listening to this show. Just uh, go to BarnesandNoble.com or Amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting the story of Tom Molino told. And it's a good one. But... Uh, uh, anyway, glad uh, to be back. We were having, uh, uh, we lost power yesterday, all day. Uh, it was almost 24 hours. Uh, horrific uh, windstorm and snow and more snow today. Uh, it's crazy stuff. But uh, uh, in any event, 
uh, today's show, uh, we got a bunch of uh, things to talk about. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we got uh, an update on uh, Triple G uh, and his possible opponent, uh, which I'm not happy about. Uh, we're going to break down and give you our predictions on uh, two of the three fights that are going to be broadcast this weekend on Showtime. Heard uh, uh, and uh, Lara uh, is uh, is the one fight we're going to talk about. And uh, Khalib Truax and James DeGal, uh the second. Uh, but I want to kick off the show with uh, some news about the fight we care about. It's the only fight that we care about. Well, it's... It's the biggest fight we care about, all right? I mean, let's not get technical. We care about all the fights. But, uh, you know, and this, of course, is Anthony Joshua against uh, Deontay Wilder. A lot of stuff has happened over the last 48 hours. Uh, But my question is, will the fight, despite what everybody's saying, will the fight actually take place this year, 2018? Will it take place next year, 2019? Or will it never take place? And that's a strong possibility, boys and girls. I remember Lennox Lewis, Riddick Bowe were talking a lot about fighting, and the fight never materialized. Um, We got some updates uh, on this situation, uh, but it seems like uh, both fighters want to fight. All the promoters want to fight. The the fans all want to fight. The networks want to fight. I mean, everybody wants to fight, and that's why maybe it's not going to happen. It seems kind of strange to me. Uh, that uh, it has not been made. But one of my biggest hang-ups is why do they need to each fight a fight first? I don't need somebody to explain to me that they need to, they want to make some money, they want to marinate, blah, blah, blah. I I know all of the the smokescreen reasons they'll tell us. But the truth of the matter is, is why do we need to see these guys fight one other person? Boxing is all about risk versus reward. It's too risky to fight anybody unless they fight each other. Joining me right now uh, from St. Simons is my man, Sal Rocky Senecola. Sal, what's your thoughts, my man? Is this fight going to happen this year? Is it going to happen next year? Will it never happen? I mean, why are they talking about putting uh, a preliminary fight on first and providing both get by, then they'll fight? I mean, it it sounds like uh, complete uh, BS to me. As Mickey would say, you need a manager, kid. Yeah, but I don't got a lot of do I, Mick. Hey, listen, I'm telling you right now. You know, I always use these little sayings like the fluff without the stuff. Tell me, tell me, Bill, there is no reason, and you just declared with common sense why this fight has to take place next. Now, the suits, the big guys, the ones pulling the trigger, they know that as well. They're just trying to create the aura, the, the, the mystique, the whole thing that it's not going to take place, that it's going to be this and that. This fight's going to be signed, sealed, and delivered to us in 2018. I'm more sure about that than ever. This is just the rhetoric and just the, the fluff that they're giving us right now before they deliver this stuff. You, not you, that they even need to do it, but I'm sure. Because if they're that smart, and uh, which we shouldn't give them that much credit for, but the bottom line is, as you said, it's risky. It's dangerous. They could jeopardize. What if, what would have happened if Anthony Joshua uh, uh, didn't uh, win that fight the other night? Uh, he he would have not. We wouldn't be talking about this fight taking place next. So this fight's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen in 2018. And if they're foolish enough to to put their toe in the water and think they can have another uh, preliminary, preliminary 
fight before they fight each other. Uh, like I said, they're going to be playing with the fire. And you know what happens when you stick your finger in the fire? You might get burned. And so the bottom line is, no, this fight's going to take place. This fight's going to take place in 2018. You know, here's I, I, here's some stuff that's going on. Let me get everybody caught up. First and foremost, uh, the first thing that I got, this was before we, uh, you know, went dark yesterday. Um Apparently, there were some uh, discussions already with uh, Sky Sports. And um, according to, well, let me just read you a quote from uh, um, Eddie Hearn. Well, I normally don't read quotes from promoters because a lot of times, I, I, ever since Bob Arum said the old famous, hey, I was lying yesterday, but I'm telling the truth today. Eh, that's why I don't give promoters uh, the platform. But, but Eddie Hearn, I'm going to say, now he had said that... Um, uh, this fight could be staged this year, that the discussions have uh, begun between Team Joshua and Team Wilder. Um, and, um, you know, we had all heard the uh, messages from Anthony Joshua to Deontay Wilder and then Deontay Wilder's response and my people, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the truth of the matter is, is that when a fight starts discussions, that means that there's a contract thrown out. Now, if one side takes it and the other side doesn't, don't say that the fighter's ducking you. It means that they just didn't offer you enough. End of story. We won't know that till it comes out. But here's a quote from uh, Eddie Hearn. Uh, he said that uh, he feels that this fight has to be staged in 2018 because if it doesn't get staged in 2018, then due to all of the mandatory requirements, this is a topic that we were talking about just the other day, due to all the mandatory re requirements, chances are they won't have a chance. And that makes sense, boys and girls, because the sanctioning bodies require their mandatory uh, fights to take place. Deontay Wilder is not included in any mandatory that would be given to Anthony Joshua because he holds the WBC belt. Eddie Hearn said, and I quote, I saw Deontay Wilder's Instagram post, and it's very confusing. Whoever is supposed to be calling or emailing me needs to update their contacts because once again, it was us initiating the conversation. Anthony wants to fight, and I'm very confident it will happen. I called Al Heyman's team yesterday and spoke with Showtime last night. This is actually on Wednesday. Uh, and discussions are going on. I have a meeting with Anthony and his trainer uh, tomorrow, which was yesterday, and we're going to map out the rest of 2018. I will say this once. The window for fighting Deontay Wilder is 2018. Otherwise, we will risk it not being an undisputed fight. Anthony wants to fight, and I'm confident uh, it will happen this year. Uh, Wilder said earlier uh, during the week, I accept the challenge. I'm ready to go to the UK, blah, blah, blah. Um, Eddie Hearn also said that he's putting together an offer that he will be presenting to Wilder's team this week. So uh, I'm anticipating that it's in route right now. Uh, but uh, he reiterated that uh, if it doesn't take place this year, by the end of this year, both parties have to agree, even if they fight an interim fight this summer, meaning that if they each fight this summer, that this fight will be set up for the uh, fall 
Uh, he also sp uh, claimed that he spoke to Steven Espinosa, who's the uh, head of boxing on Showtime. And Espinosa says the best time frame that it would work out to broadcast on their network would be September or December, two uh, months that uh, you know are penciled in for this fight. Uh, Eddie Hearn said, uh, I said, if we either fight in July or August, then we'll see what happens. But I do want a deal now. Even if we both have fights uh, this summer, I would be looking to have an agreement signed in place so that we can fight in December uh, because of the fan demand. It's important that this fight gets made before they even fight. Now, as far as... Uh, uh, Anthony Joshua, there's all that talk that he's going to fight Jarrell Miller, which I think is absurd. Uh, and the talk about Deontay Wilder is possibly fighting Dominic Brazil. Uh, and uh, Eddie Hearn said, what I'm saying is that I want to make this fight for 2018. The question is, do we have a fight in the summer uh, or do we take on Wilder in December? Uh, or do we just forget about fighting in December and fight in September or October? These are all things we're going to be talking with Anthony Joshua, his trainer, and Team Wilder about. We want it. Anthony Joshua wants it. Deontay Wilder wants it. The fans want it. We are going to try to make it happen. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to take by all of this. I, I, I mean, it sounds like... I know everybody wants to fight, Sal. I know everybody wants to fight. But, you know, making the fight isn't that easy. Deontay Wilder's team is going to demand a 50-50 split. Split of what? I don't know. Um, but uh, but the truth of the matter is, is I don't understand. I mean, I understand why. But I don't need anybody to explain to me. But it's, <laughs> it's stupid that they take a preliminary fight in between. In this business, which is the hurt business... Any fight is risky, especially at the heavyweight level. And when you're talking about Deontay Wilder fighting uh, Dominic Brazil, who isn't a world beater, but let me tell you, he's got a granite chin, and he's better than most people think. And even as much as I think Jarrell Baby Miller is a fraud and has no business at all fighting anybody for a title, let alone Anthony Joshua, things can still happen. I've said this before, a cut. A freak knockdown, some kind of uh, you know loss, a, a disqualification, hand. a broken hand. Great point. Deontay Wilder is, is known to have um, you know some problems with with his hands. You know, so I mean, why take the risk, Sal? I just don't get it. Well, and and rest assured, my friend, they're not going to take the risk because you know what? This fight could be signed, sealed, delivered, and and if it's not. It's going to be a risk to see it happening in the future. Every day they go, they get away from it, or every day that they're thinking about fighting an in-between preliminary fight or another fight between the, the for whatever reason, it's a risk. It's one step away from making this fight happen. But here's my thought: We also were wondering. We heard rumors. We wanted. We did this 25, 30 years ago when it was first being touted out that Sugar Ray Leonard was coming out of retirement to fight the fabulous Marvin Hagler, the marvelous Marvin Hagler. And there was, as I usually say, the ebb and flow of it's on, it's off, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, why? Is it, boom. And then all of a sudden, bingo, it was there. The fight's happening. It was signed, sealed, delivered. It's the same thing we're doing here. Fast forward 25, 30 years. We know this fight's going to happen. The promoters know the fight's going to happen. The fighters know the fight's going to happen. We also said, 
if two fighters really want to fight each other, they're going to make it happen. So these guys are, are just dueling for the leverage and trying to, to, to iron out whatever differences they have. But in one of these days, in the near future, you're going to hear it, and it's going to be one thing that you're going to hear first. The fight's signed, sealed, and it will be delivered. It's going to just happen. I know it. It's got to happen this year for all the reasons you mentioned, plus other variables that may come into play if it's not. So the fight's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to bet. Uh, what, what's the Vegas odds on that one? I don't know. I, you know, I'm sure they have uh, some odds on it. But, um, you know, it, it, the fight, yes, everybody wants to fight. But boxing has a tendency the greed factor is the driver in boxing. And this is why boxing fails um, at, at the level. Here we are, uh, and you can make the, a, a very good case that, you know, the second, the last part of 2016, all of 2017, and so far all of 2018, has been great for this sport. I mean, it's been great. I mean, I, I can't think of any other choice of words to describe it, okay? Now, with that uh, infused interest, with the, with that new interest, and us gathering, I say us, the boxing community, gathering uh, and gaining more fans, now is the time to keep it going. The problem that boxing has had throughout its history is its peaks and valleys. And, and I say this really after the 70s because... Um, you know, it, it was peak. It was always peaked uh, because of you know uh, being a top sport, and and many people didn't really follow the others the way they do now. I mean, after the '40s and early '50s, when the NFL became very popular, um, prior to that, I mean, boxing. You can make the argument, aside from baseball, was was right up there. But um, you know, you have your peaks and valleys. And a lot of the times when you would go into the Valley, it's because you're not giving the fans what they want. I've said this all the time. The boxing is the only sport that takes in full advantage of their fans every which way. And here's another case. There's always another big fight. Promoters should not be afraid to make the fight when it's hot. And right now, there's no hotter fight. And even, I know we're not going to see Triple G fight Canelo, but that wasn't even as hot as this. I got news for you. It wasn't even as hot as this fight. This fight is the hottest fight, the most anticipated fight, and the most demanded fight in the sport of boxing today. And not only is it all of that, not only is it all of that in a bag of chips, the truth of the matter is, is that it will help the sport. It's not just about those two guys. It's not just about the heavyweight division. It's about the sport of boxing. This fight has to be made now. There's no reason for these guys, either one of these guys, Deontay Wilder does not have to fight anybody else, whether it be Dillian White or Dominic Brazil, does not have to fight him to earn a spot uh, against AJ. He's already earned it, all right? He's already earned it because he's the next guy in line. And AJ certainly, certainly, does not have to earn a spot against Deontay Wilder by fighting Jarrell Baby Miller. I mean, and that's the only name that they keep throwing out is Miller. And I'll tell you what, Miller's going to have a hard time with Johan Duapaz. Johan Duapaz is slow and methodical, but he takes a punch. Jarrell Miller will win the fight on a decision, but Jarrell Miller makes me sick that he's even in the discussion, Sal. I mean, Dominic Brazil, he's legit. He's, he's fought some top people. You know, Jarrell Miller fought one guy. It makes me sick that he's even in this discussion. 
Well, I know. But, but rest assured, my friend, it's not going to be Miller time when it comes to the title fight with coming up next for Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder. This fight's going to happen, Bill. I've, I'm, I'm confident. I know it's going to happen. I have in my heart of hearts. I, I'm, I'm putting on my Nostradamus hat right now. This fight's going to happen. It's just building the anticipation. And uh, like I said, they're surrounding us with the fluff, and they're going to deliver the stuff. So, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hear about it. We're going to hear about it very soon that it's going to be signed, sealed, and delivered. I, when I say soon, we're going to hear about it probably within the, the end of this month, by the, before the end of April. You know, here's the you. thing. Here's the thing. I'll bet on that. When fighters, when fighters reach a certain plateau with, um, in terms of fanfare, uh, et cetera, et cetera, the titles become less valuable. You, you see, titles meant something when there was one. Becoming a contender meant something when there were ten. With the dilution of the sport today, with five major sanctioning bodies involved, and all those those contenders in each one of those sanctioning bodies and everybody running around with a belt and to make it even worse we don't even have just one world title in each belt in each sanctioning body we have up to five in each one all right uh so so it's ridiculous and the sanctioning bodies are actually the biggest culprits of preventing the unifications because of the m-word the mandatories right but here's the thing, boys and girls. The truth of the matter is, is that the fight is bigger than the sanctioning bodies. Listen, you know, when Floyd Mayweather was fighting and he was considered the big name, uh, sanctioning bodies would do whatever they want to have him win their belt. The reason is because they use a guy like Floyd as promotion saying he's got our belt, he's, he's wearing our belt. Well, the same is said with these guys. If they turn around... And on one hand, you have uh, the WBC mandatory uh, makes a mandatory uh, fight, which, by the way, Wilder doesn't have to fulfill. He already did it. He's got several months. Uh, but let's just say, for argument's sake, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder's got to fight Dillian White now, right? Well, all you have to do is go to that sanctioned body and say, well, we have a unification fight. They will sidestep for that. Now, what you put on the risk is if you win and you collect all those belts, now if you don't take that mandatory or someone else's, they'll strip you. So even if we get the unification, the, the belts will be uh, spread out again anyway. The point is, is we have two big names in the heavyweight division, Sal, right now. They need to make the fight and forget about the mandatories. They need to make the fight. I mean, I just it makes me sick to even think that <laughs> Wilder's going to fight somebody else and Joshua's going to fight Gerald Miller, the fraud. And then we get to see him. Why? Why? I, I mean, what's the reason? What can they gain by having one more fight besides money? And and it's not even that much money. No, it won't be that much money if they took an interim fight. And that's why I'm telling you right now, Bill, what's happening now, you had Canelo Alvarez and Triple G. And you had the Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. These are the two biggest fights that we were all, all focused on and we wanted to ha have happen this year. The Triple G, Canelo Alvarez fight was slated for May 5th. All right, that's washed, that's done, it's not gonna happen. All focus, all eyes, all pressure is now on the next biggest fight. The biggest fight that this year can produce is going to be the heavyweight unification title fight between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. So that's what I'm saying, my friend. This fight is going to happen, it has to. 
There's too many entities, too many, too much focus, too many eyes, and too many people that are going to benefit from this fight to not let it happen now. They cannot jeopardize that because you know what? Yes, boxing is driven by the two needs and the human human element. That's need and greed, and that's what's going to happen here. And they're going to make this fight happen for those two reasons. Well, listen, Alexander Povetkin just brutally knocked out. And for all the uh, affiliates, TV and uh, radio, we are not taking a break here. We're going to wait till the uh, mid-half-hour point. Um, Alexander Povetkin just brutally knocked out David Price. That fight positioned him uh, for the mandatory uh, to fight Anthony Joshua for the uh, super uh, WBA World Heavyweight Championship. But don't forget that Manuel Char... Is their regular champion? See, this is the part that that pisses me off about the WBA. The WBA is a bunch of they're just as much of a fraud as as uh, Jarrell Baby Miller. Here's the thing: if you want to justify having a regular title and a super title, at least have your mandatory be the guy who's holding. The regular title, which you could say is an interim title, but no, the WBA has an interim title holder too. But the truth of the matter is, is the WBA, this this sanctioning body that is is going to have Manuel Char fight Frezzaquendo for the regular title. And Frezzaquendo, by the way, just turned 45 and has not fought in over three years. He's still their, their top contender. And oh, then all nice. of a sudden have the balls... To turn around and order Alexander Povetkin to fight Anthony Joshua? Uh, no. The point is is that Anthony Joshua is more powerful than the WBA. And if the WBA strips him, and 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 what are they going to do? They already uh, had the regular title be contended between Manuel Char and uh, uh, who was it? Uh, I can't even remember who he fought to tell you. Was it was it um, uh, Alexander uh, Ustinov? Maybe I, I I don't know. I don't know. But Manuel Char won, and uh, the truth of the matter is, is it's a joke. Uh, the mandatories destroy the, the 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 boxing game. Really, the sanctioning bodies are the worst thing, and they'll never take their claws out of the fighter, Sal. No, and like we said, you know, my generation, it was it was a lot cleaner. I mean. You had two sanctioning bodies. You had the WBA and the WBC. And, you know, each one recognized their own world champion. And we know the story from there. The third sanctioning body that popped up on the surface and had some credibility and had some legs and they recognized the contenders, they had a champion, was the IBF. And, you know, even with three sanctioning bodies, it was still doable. Each one had their top ten contenders. Each one had their world champion. And like our old buddy Boom Boom Mancini said, there's only one world. Why Why is there so many belts? The bottom line is everybody should understand that the sanctioning bodies are, are so toxic for the sport on this level. I mean, Billy, you and I could form a sanctioning body right now, call it the WBS. Oh, look at that. That's funny. That BS could stand for Billy and Sal and some other things. I like that. And you know what? We can recognize our own world champions. We can recognize our own contenders. And, you know, it's 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 that not that easy. It takes money. It takes, you know, a lot of things to go on behind the scenes. But that's what I'm saying. People have 
form these bodies, uh, the, the money, the greed, the factor, and there should only be one or two sanctioning bodies that they can unify because these interim championship belts, these super championship belts, these world championship belts. I mean, what do we do? How, how's the math? You can have what? 30, you can have, you can have almost 80 something champions walking around claiming they're world champions. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's more than crazy. It's stupidity. It's, uh, I, I, it's I, I don't know. Listen, listen, you know, the whole point is that Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder should fight right now. They don't need to fight anybody else. And they should tell all the sanctioning bodies to hold it, hold on sanctioning bodies. And then, and then they have to be able to work together. You know, if not, then they're devaluing. And, and, and let me tell you something. If it wasn't for the greed factor of the promoters and the networks, you could ice out these sanctioning bodies. It's easy to muscle these sanctioning bodies if you have the Gallionis to do it. If you say, I don't want to fight for this belt because it's BS, you know, um, then all of a sudden they'll be tripping over people, trying to get people, fighters to fight for their belts. But that's not what happens. What happens is, especially with fighters from the U.S., they'll get coddled all the way up and then their team will buy them a spot uh, to fight, and they fight for the WBA belt. Same thing's happening this weekend. Urslandi Lara is their super champion. He's held that belt, which we'll break that fight down a little bit later, for five years, but yet they still have a regular champion in that division. You know, so, I mean, I, how can they do it? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You know, each – they boxing needs unity, boys and girls, not the, the – you know um, – we don't need splits, you know. We don't need division. We need unity. By the way, I want to give a shout out to my man Joseph Olson once again. This guy's coming through uh, with a uh, super chat. Love this guy. He's uh, uh, yeah, pretty soon. It's going to be called uh, uh, talking. Uh, it's going to be called Joseph Olson's talking boxing with Billy C. Show Sal because uh, uh, he, he keeps uh, giving us the super chats. But uh, uh, I, I'm just. It's appalling to see what's happening. And we, we are so close to having a unified heavyweight champion. And then who's going to screw it up? Forget about the fighters. They deserve to negotiate and tit and tat. They deserve that um, to a degree. But the sanctioning bodies should not uh, put a wrench in this. I, it makes me sick. I know. Bill, I just had, I just had one of those visions. I, I put my Nostradamus hat on. Uh, and uh, I, I, we're going to hear very soon. And you know what? We're going to hear... Next week from our buddy Mitch, because he's going to say after the announcement that the fight's going to be made, he's going to chime in and say, because of our show today and everybody listening, that powers that may be, the fight is going to be signed, sealed, and delivered. And it's because of our show. <laughs> What's the likelihood of that? Get the Vegas on. <laughs> well, Thanks, Mitch. I'm, I'm, I'm foreseeing that letter very soon from you, pal. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just... It's very, uh, it's very disheartening uh, to see, uh, you know, taking a couple of steps forward and then several steps back, and and uh, that's uh, really what's happening today. Um, you know, I, I want to mention something real quick. Um, you know, I, we're trying to grow our presence uh, uh, in in the YouTube boxing community. Something I really uh, didn't uh, care. Uh, too much about uh, several years back, but we're we're making a uh, we're making a uh, uh, a positive move. And I wanted to say this: 
You know, I did some research yesterday, Sal, and do you know that of our subscribers right now, the largest contingent of uh, subscribers to our show are from the UK? Are you really serious about that? Yeah, no, they're top. They're top. Well, uh, they're and well, you, United States comes second, but uh, but the UK is is tops, and and it, it wow. doesn't surprise me. And speaking of uh, everyone, uh, especially now that's in the chat rooms. Uh, we're going to be bringing back the trivia question today. So I got a really good uh, trivia question. So don't leave the show early because we'll give it to you at the end of this uh, show. And um, uh, it is uh, uh, a title bout championship computer game uh, is on the line. But uh, uh, bottom line, Sal, I can't take uh, if if the W. Uh, what do you think the reaction would be if one of the sanctioning bodies and it looks like the WBA would be the first. Uh, decides to strip Anthony Joshua, what do you think the outcry would be? Well, I think there would be an outcry. I think, you know, as you said, you know, uh, sometimes the sport of boxing shoots itself in the foot on some levels and hopefully will re-deliver a certain thing later on and validate. But uh, I can't see that happening with this situation. And, you know, we, we heard the, the, the term the people's champion, this one, that one. If the WBA decides to strip a, a title away from Anthony Joshua, is it going to uh, be recognized throughout the world as a real big issue as long as Deontay Wilder and, uh, and, Deont and, and Anthony Joshua get in the ring uh, in lieu of the, the, the stripping of the title because he didn't face his mandatory within the, the time period allotted by the sanctioning body? Well, I think having the incentive for Anthony Joshua to pick up the WBC belt uh, from from Deontay Wilder might be the trade-off that uh, that they could live with, and I, I just don't think that the, the WBA would be. I think they'd force it with the muscle. I think they'd also have some wiggle room that they'll show why they could validate. Okay, we'll let it go on. We'll postpone this, but he's the next mandatory for the, whoever wins this fight. Whatever. So I, I don't think it's going to be much in the mix right now with the WBA possibly stripping Anthony Joshua of, of a world, world title. Well, and I don't think it'll have that much big impact in a sense because he's got, he's got several other world titles. Well, that's what I was saying before. At this point, do you think the belts make Anthony Joshua or Anthony Joshua makes the belts? Well, I think they do. They're supposed to have a unique relationship between the two. I mean, you know, we used to say, you, know, you, you what was the biggest thing when I made my comeback a few years ago? I wanted to get a title shot. You said, Sal, it's not the same. The game's not the same. I said, Bill, oh, I want to get a title shot. And you said, hey, it could happen as easily as maybe four or five fights out there. If you keep winning, we can get you a title shot. And I, I said, what do you mean it's not the same? How, that easy. I mean, we used to struggle and claw in the 80s when I was a contender. I mean... You, we had the top 10. They were the only ones in a position to get a title shot. And we had to fight each other or climb up that ring and ladder to get to the number one position to earn the mandatory. So believe me, Bill, it, the game has changed. And uh, I, I am sorry to see how, how much it has. Just I don't want to say the integrity of boxing. Uh, I want to say that the, the formula of what they consider success and uh, in the best interest of the fighters and the fans, I think that has gone alou and, and uh, awry in lieu of the boxing community and the sanctioning bodies earning all their money and, their, and, and what they have to do. Well, It's a trade-off. Well, 
I, the truth of the matter is, is that I, I think that it's ridiculous. And I, I think that all the sanctioning bodies should accept unification because great. it would bring it would bring more value to those fighters that could basically be good enough to unify the belts. They still make their sanctioning fees. You know, their problem is the fact that they won't make as many defenses. It's all about, you see, what's, how do you put value in a belt when all those bank sanctioning bodies care about is the revenue that they bring in? You know, and I get it about business and stuff. I'm a businessman myself, but the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, at some point, the difference with me, I think, Sal, is that I love the sport of boxing, and I want to make it good. You know, my, my days are numbered. You know, I'm at the... I'm at the I'm in the fourth quarter uh, of uh, life. Don't you know? say that, Bill. We're the same age. But man. but I'm, I'm just not, saying I'm, I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm in the I'm in the fourth quarter of life. You know what I'm saying? And and the truth of the matter is, is you know, it scares me to think what this sport's gonna be like in, in another fifty years if it keeps going in the way it is. Even the fans accept some of this uh, uh, BS, Sal. Well, fifty years from now, we're gonna have that debate. We're gonna look back and we're gonna say, hey. Do you remember when we spoke about this? <laughs> and we're going to see boxing. It's going to always be alive. One thing about boxing, Bill, from its first day when it wasn't called boxing, when, they, when the Romans had the castanets on their hand, they were inside the Colosseum banging and battling and brutalizing and killing each other. I mean, that sport of, of, of fisticuffs has evolved. And here's where we are today. So I think it's always going to be alive and well but it's going to be better in some decades than others. And right now, we're on, we are on a resurgence. The boxing interest is going to be, be popular as it has been for the last year and a half, two years, and it's going to continue. I know that. I feel it in my heart of hearts. Boxing is back on the mainstream. Well, I, I think that it uh, will never be the way it was, but uh, no. it's definitely better. But uh, not, I, I not feel, better, feel, not better than it was back in the day, but better than it was in in recent yeah. times. But anyway, hey, listen, we're gonna take a short break. When we come back, Triple G, uh, I don't know, man. He took a couple of steps forward by standing strong. Uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, made their move. Now it seems Triple G is taking a step back. I'll get to that in about two. Billy, we'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show today. Glad to have you. And I want to give a shout-out to my man, Scholar of Boxing, in the super chat room. Uh, just sent us a super chat, said, uh, great conversations today. Hey, specifically to my man, Scholar of Boxing, he's a knowledgeable guy. He better stick around today uh, for the trivia question. We are giving away 
uh, a copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game for the first person that can get it right. So uh, don't go anywhere. I have faith that uh, some of the guys in the YouTube uh, boxing community are going to start doing well. We're, we're back with the trivia questions, Sal, because I, uh, I finally feel, uh, not to discredit anybody else, but you know uh, the YouTube boxing community is finally waking up to this show, and uh, we're starting to, to collect uh, some uh, a very uh, uh, knowledgeable fans, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, they take advantage of these uh, prizes. I mean, don't you think? I mean, they're, they're coming on pretty strong, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I welcome it. I look forward to it, and we're going to have a good time with that. So I appreciate that. Um, Triple G, all right? Triple so, G. So uh, he, everybody knows what's, what's going on. Canelo cheated, got caught with the Clarenbuterol. Uh, you know, looked like they were going to give him a pass, but a lot of pressure on the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Bob Bennett ordered um, a uh, an investigation, and preliminarily it, it seemed like the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which hasn't officially made the announcement yet in terms of its suspension, uh, was leaning towards suspending Canelo for a length of time that would have prevented him from fighting. Now, keep in mind, boys and girls, that the way the Nevada State Athletic Commission works is it's a board of directors. They vote on everything. So this was Bob Bennett's opinion. Uh, they never did officially vote. That vote is coming up. I thought it was the 10th, but I keep seeing the 18th. They probably pushed it back. Um, in any event, Canelo, who has never been man enough to admit that he cheated, uh, still says it's from eating uh, cheeseburgers over in uh, Mexico, um, you know, withdrew from the fight. Now, Triple G said, that I'm still fighting. I'm still fighting. Well, in the last couple of days, you know, first of all, uh, Billy Joe Saunders and his team reached out and said that they're willing to fight Triple G. The problem is, is that they couldn't do it in May. They wanted to push it back several weeks and have it scheduled in June. Triple G's team said no, that they wanted it in May um, because they want to continue with the May 5th date. Now, I could see some reasons why Triple G does not want to not fight in May. I mean, this, the, the worst thing that's happening to Triple G is inactivity. So he wants to keep the date. Fine. Uh, and they are planning, according to Team Saunders, he says, uh, I've spoken with uh, Triple G's team, and uh, we are uh, in play to fight Triple G. This is Billy Joe Saunders in the fall. Uh, May 5th wasn't going to happen because of Billy Joe's hand injury, and Triple G's team is going ahead with a fight and won't make a fight in June. Now, that part of the news and that statement I like because it seems to me that Team Triple G is doing what I think they should do and say, forget about it, Canelo. We don't want you. You don't bring nothing to the table except, you know, $20 million. But, uh, but he can make that somewhere else, right? But here's the thing, Sal. Rumor has it that Triple G uh, is still going to fight on the 5th. HBO is still going to offer it as a pay-per-view. And the guy uh, that was leading the... Uh, um, mix was a top 10 in two uh, sanctioning bodies, Jamie Malink, M uh, Mungia, who I've never even seen fight. Now, uh, apparently, N Nevada turned him down, uh, so they're looking still at Spike O'Sullivan and Demetrius Andrade, uh, both guys that 
if we have to see him fight somebody, I'm okay with. Demetrius Andre would be a great fight, but his team is trying to out-price uh, him. What's your thoughts on Triple G uh, picking a guy? I mean, you go from Canelo to somebody. you got to have a big name in there, don't you think? Well, you got to, but come on, Bill. I mean, how many real big names, household names, are there? I mean, you guys, I, we, we used to talk about, you know, Yes, the United States used to be the the forefront of all the big fights, and we had all we had a lot of domestic fighters that were world champions at the time in the seventies and eighties, and it, it seemed like boxing was in our living room, in our household, in our conversations. It was big. You and Dax say it all the time. Boxing is a global sport. Boxing has gone out of our living room. It's gone worldwide on so many levels, and there's so many other people in so many other countries willing to pick up that torch and carry it like the UK has done so, so brilliantly. And, you know, to, to say that there's there's the contenders, the pretenders, this one, that one, the fight fans were smart enough. They knew what fight marinated, what fight they wanted to see. They wanted to see Triple G and Canelo Alvarez fight, just like they want to see Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua fight. All right. But the bottom line is when all that stuff doesn't happen and materialize and carry through the way it should, the way it's planned, yeah, we got to go to plan B. What's plan B? How many true money-driven or that could be uh, a, a driver for another pay-per-view? There's not that many. And Billy Joe Saunders proved to be worthy of that. Uh, Spike O'Sullivan has had some good gutsy shows. And, you know, Dem Demetri Andre, I mean – where where does it go? I mean, there's not all that much that people are willing to pay for to see other than those big names. So I can't blame uh, Triple G on this one. I give him a pass here because he, as a fighter, had the May 5th date that he's preparing for, and he wants to let, the, let his training. You back it out. You see how many weeks away you are from a fight date. And you take that eight weeks back, six weeks back, you get your routine, the, the motor, the energy, the synergy starts to go. Your diet, your fighting, your training regimen. And so you're going to plan it back from the May 5th date because that's the date you're going to peak. That's the date you're ready. So to say you're going to interrupt the program and carry it a few weeks forward, yeah, you could do that. You could rewind it. You could do this. But I could also see why Triple G wants to go through that May 5th date just out of principle because that's that's the day that he wants to be the last man standing with the, when the whole dust clears after Canelo Alvarez was, was not uh, able to carry through with this fight. You know, listen, as far as Triple G is concerned – there's really and and quite honestly, the Canelo fight was a big fight for the first time. It was the ending was sickening in terms of the draw. Wasn't um, fair. So, so 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 Triple G really, you know, I mean to just you know get a definitive uh, result is why they made the rematch. But once again, Canelo was in the driver's seat. Uh, Triple G had to make all the concessions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, the tables were turned. Now, Canelo's a cheater. I mean, he was busted and caught and still not man enough to admit it. Uh, and Triple G is the last man standing. Many regard him as the middleweight champ, and whoever doesn't is do. nuts. Yeah, they're nuts. But when you look at the, the landscape of the middleweight division, uh, Triple G really has uh, only a few options. 
you know, he, he's not going to hang around forever. Uh, you know, he's trying to make as much money as he can. That's why he wanted to fight Canelo. So now, as a, 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 if you're going to make an educated decision, you look at who's left. Who's left that's going to generate some buku dollars for him and uh, is going to, you know, just keep moving away from Canelo. There's really two names. One is Billy Joe Saunders because he's the only belt, he has the only belt that Triple G does not have. And then the other name is Daniel Jacobs. Daniel Jacobs is a guy who I know already lost to Triple G, but gave Triple G a, a, a hell of a fight yes, and he has proven to be that next guy. He has. And a rematch with Daniel Jacobs is a good fight, especially in New York. Now, with that said, and knowing that Jacobs is already booked to fight, knowing that Billy Joe Saunders can't fight in May, even though he's been trained and he had the hand injury, uh, Spike O'Sullivan was training and was ready. You know, you, I could accept him as a last-minute replacement in lieu of what was going on, but HBO can't can't make that a pay-per-view. Can't make that a pay-per-view. No, you can't make that but, a pay-per-view. But it's the, not a pay -per -view but the draw. but the name that popped up that could keep it yes. possibly as a pay-per-view and would have some ramifications behind it is the Demetrius Andre fight. Now, the only reason why I say this is Demetrius Andrade is undefeated. He does have the pedigree. He is a talented fighter. He does move. He can box. I mean, this is a guy that would challenge Triple G. So if Triple G actually wants to face a challenging foe, he would try and make the fight with Andrade. Now, with that said, Andrade happens to be under the tutelage of Joe DeGuardia and Artie Puello, of Star Boxing and Banner Promotions, respectively. And both of these guys have a history of outpricing their fighters. So that could very well be the main reason, because I know for a fact that the teams had reached out, that Team Triple G had reached out to Demetrius Andre and said, hey, is he in shape? Has he been in the gym? And uh, the, question, the answer is yes, he is. So, you know, the only reason that he might not be in the mix right now, Sal, is because they might be outpricing him. And, and that's very likely. I mean, <laughs> you said it earlier, excuse me, that uh, they've had a history of outpricing their fighter uh, for these big fights. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's easier uh, to eat humble pie and take the deal that, that is fair and uh, and then do your best to win and then you could be in the driver's seat to declare what's going to happen the next time out. But, you know, a lot of fighters don't look at it that way. I shouldn't even say a lot of fighters. A lot of fighters could see it that way. It's the people behind them that uh, either want all or nothing uh, up front or aren't really uh, looking past uh, the fight ahead of them at the time. Well, listen, if I'm, if I'm uh, Triple G... And, uh, you know, I, I just want a major, in a sense, I want a major fight against Canelo outside the ring and end for the sport of boxing, forcing the hand of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, despite the revenue streams that was going to be generated. I want to keep that momentum. I don't want to yeah. pull out some guy out of left field uh, to, to, to fight me. And, and, you know, Spike O'Sullivan at least made an appearance on on uh, the network, so I mean, people have seen him before. 
Um, and he's a good style for Triple G to be exciting. But the better fight would be Demetrius Andre. There's more at stake. It's more of a risk. But uh, it's anyway. more of a risk. And uh, you know, I'd hate to think about it, but but and let's level that. Maybe that's why Triple G is not really uh, welcoming that fight right now. I mean, fight. We say it all the time. Styles make fights, and there's no doubt in anyone's mind that any style that can complement or go or have a dance partner that works well for another fighter is going to be the fight that's going to be wanting to be made. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the excitement factor. We can talk about this and that. But not everybody could beat everybody or anybody on any given night on some level because of styles, because of heart, because of determination, because of a lot of variables. But some styles will make even a stellar fighter look ordinary or give him trouble. It's just the way the bouncing glove works, Bill. Yeah, you know, my big hang-up with the sport of boxing, if I, if I had to put my finger, there's, there's several of them, but if I had to put my finger on one, it's the fact that fighters pick the easiest way. I, I, I mean, you know, one of the biggest reasons I never liked Floyd Mayweather and never will is because he never really challenged himself. You know, we talk about Sugar Ray Leonard coming out of retirement and going after the top dog. Mayweather never did that. I think he, out of all the belts he won, yeah, he could, and, and, the, and he all the belts that he won over that whole decade, uh, very. I think he might have unified the belts uh, only twice or something like that. I forget what the statistic is. But in today's world of boxing, what separates a, a, a real champion from just a, a, a paper champion is when you start to unify. That's actually become what people recognize as a world champion, a guy that starts to unify belts, a guy with more than one belt kind of separates himself from the pack. And Triple G, uh, you know, yeah, you know, does he deserve a, um, you know, a payday and all of that? Yeah, he does, I guess. But is HBO going to try to sell it? Does Triple G look at the, uh, the, the future and say, wait a minute, don't let me get set up here. Don't put me in a fight with someone that's not going to generate pay-per-view sales, then the next time I go to the bargaining table, people are going to say, hey, look at your pay-per-view numbers. You can't draw. It's a catch-22, you know, and uh, sometimes I question the business decisions that uh, fighters and their teams make. Listen, uh, we can go on and on. I got a couple of emails. Let me get some emails out of the way, and uh, we'll get back to uh, both those topics, which are both hot, uh, Triple G and his next opponent, and then, of course, uh, Anthony Joshua against Deontay Wilder. Will it happen this year? Will it happen next year? Will it happen ever? Um, his first one is from uh, uh, my man Jonathan from the UK. Um, he says, uh, I agreed with your analysis on the Parker fight and the criticisms of uh, Rob McCracken as Joshua will follow direction and Rob felt happy with his performance which seemed to be safety first and just win with the jab. Uh, he says, I was very disappointed with this fight on two fronts. First, Joshua noticed that Parker was ducking under the straight right, as he uh, stated uh, in his post-fight press conference. If you watch the Charlo knockout of J-Rock, Charlo knocked J-Rock out with an uppercut just as J-Rock was ducking down, which added more force to the blow. Why didn't Rob McCracken notice this and give AJ the advice on how to get uh, Parker into a similar situation? The uppercut is AJ's best punch. Secondly, and that's a great point, uh, secondly, uh, AJ uh, has uh, 
uh, created his popularity through being an exciting fighter and moving away from the Klitschko and Mayweather style of safety uh, first and coasting to victories. If he continues to fight by coasting to a victory, he will lose his popularity as Klitschko did and wasn't popular and Klitschko wasn't popular outside of Germany and AJ can't play uh, the heel like Mayweather was able to. To beat Wilder, he will need to be much more offensive-minded and get him out of there. Um, I agree with this email, Sal, uh, 100%. Uh, the difference, I think, with with Joseph Parker against um, AJ with what I would expect to see when Deontay steps in with AJ is Deontay Wilder, and I knock him for it, but it's his, it's actually his strength, is that he's become a one-trick pony. He's hunting you down with that right hand. He has made the decision that he is either going to die by the sword or win by the sword. And his sword, of course, is his right hand. So with that said, he's going to be right right there for AJ. AJ's going to have to have uh, a, a slugfest with Deontay. I don't think Deontay will uh, use uh, his jab the way Parker did. And quite honestly, I think AJ's a much better fighter against bigger guys. I, he has he has a, a problem with shorter fighters. At least that's what I see, Sal. Well, it it, it doesn't that surprise me. I like I said, I was always my style was formulated. I was always used to fighting bigger guys. And when I have troubles with a guy who was actually shorter than I was or whatever. But the bottom line is this: neither here or there. Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. They both know their strengths, and uh, they know what they're criticized for on the weekend. I think that Deontay Wilder, being a big guy, will also utilize a jab. He will be fighting an orthodox fighter. He will be doing a good job on 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 the level that that he could show us a little bit more than what you think he showed us against uh, his last fight out, which he which he won. But the bottom line is, I think that hey, you got that one weapon that that's known. That that's your equalizer. I mean, I, I hate to use an analogy, but I mean, when we were first in the in in, the, in going to war with the Middle East and you know with the with Iraq and this and that, we started utilizing those bunker buttons, uh, busters, and and you know that was our big weapon was the bunker busters or whatever heck. And you guess what? The tides changed after that. So not to analogize it to something less, but I just wanted to, my head just went there as it usually does, and <laughs> that's an equalizer. That's a that's a game changer. Well, Deontay Wilder has the equalizer, game changer, and, and however he can deliver that mighty right hand that he possesses, that God gave him, uh, you know, if that's his focus, that's his punch, that's his delivery, you got 12 rounds, you got three three minutes around, you got 36 minutes to make that hit home and, uh, the, and, and, and not getting yourself caught in the middle of it. So I don't blame him for using that weapon. That's his way to deliver it. I think he's there's more to him than just that weapon. But that is yet to be seen and uh, on, on some level. The guy's talented. The guy's able to do it. He comes in, fight, in the ring to fight. He's in condition. And I think he just does what he can. to. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, <clears throat> don't forget, everybody, uh, we're going to be doing uh, – we got a dr- great trivia question today. So uh, especially uh, challenging uh, all the YouTube people uh, because uh, I know they're knowledgeable. Next email. This one's from uh, my man uh, – uh, Rick, Rick, uh, he says, uh, hey, Billy C and Sal, I've heard you talk a lot before about Lennox Lewis and how you respect him mostly for walking away as champ and never making a comeback. I've wondered why you don't consider him an all-time great, though. 
I've always thought Lennox was an exciting heavyweight with plenty of brutal knockouts and every top name from his era on his resume. He even beat a top fighter from the next era when he stopped Vitaly Klitschko in 2003. The only people of note that Lewis never faced was George Foreman, who was actually too old, and Riddick Bowe, who ducked him on live TV. I also give Lewis credit for his wins over lesser fighters like Andrew Galata, David Tua, and Michael Grant. People forget now, but uh, at that time they fought Lewis. All three of those guys were considered tough, dangerous, uh, and in the prime of their careers. Really, the only criticism I have of Lennox Lewis is that he never gave Klitschko a rematch, but he stopped Klitschko legitimately on cuts, and I don't think he needed to prove it uh, in a rematch. Um, that that cut on uh, Klitschko's face, the, the cheek, it was like a cheek cut. That was uh, brutal. But listen, I, 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 it's, it's true. I am guilty of, uh, of that. Now, I've since, I, I do consider Lennox Lewis an all-time great uh, in heavyweights. No question. Um, Lennox Lewis, I do respect the most about Lennox Lewis is the fact that when he retired, he walked away as a champion and never came back. Um, it takes a lot of, uh, of uh, you know, strength to do that mentally, especially when people are throwing money at you. Um, as far as um, him, uh, you know, the, the my hang-up with Lennox when he was active was the same hang-up I had with, uh, uh, with Larry Holmes. I just don't like fighters that use the media – to say they don't get respect. I don't get respect in the ring. I don't get, nobody thinks I'm the, I'm better than people think. Yeah. You don't need to do that in this sport. This sport is very, uh, it gives plenty of credit when you prove yourself in the ring. And Lennox Lewis certainly did it. I also believe that Lennox Lewis changed the complexion of the heavyweight division. Lennox Lewis proved that a six foot five plus guy weighing 240 plus pounds can be just as athletic and powerful and, and exciting uh, as the smaller heavyweights of yesteryear. And since Lennox Lewis's success, we have had a heavyweight division that has transformed into truly the biggest, best athletes uh, on the planet. So um, he is an all-time great. What, what do you think about Lennox Lewis, Sal? Well, it's so funny you should say that because you mentioned two things, that, that uh, two fighters that I've also had a hard time with at, uh, at different times. For various reasons and it's always and, and when all eyes are on heavyweight division it's always difficult when the passing of the baton to a new champion uh that can sustain a level of success and be there replacing the former champion it's a hard act to follow that's a great analogy i mean when when larry holmes was a heavyweight champion he was he was in the aftermath of the muhammad ali era now, not too many people can hold a candle to Muhammad Ali. And the whole thing is this. Larry, as you suggested, yes, he did use the media to always cry out that he wasn't getting rid of the respect he deserves and all this. And he, it's why this and that. And, yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan. I Now, I know Larry. I mean, when Richie Giacchetti was my co-manager, he also managed Larry Holmes earlier. And we went out to, to, uh, to uh, uh, visit Larry many times. And I used to train Larry's old gym, and, and we used to go to his Commodore Inn, the hotel. And I got to know Larry, and his younger brother fought on some of the same shows that I did. So Larry was a big presence, and I loved Larry. When I got to know the Larry, and it, it was great. And I respected his ability because he was out there. He had that jab. He had the right hand. He had power. He had conditioning. He had some stellar fights. So, yeah, he was one of the fighters that I learned how to respect and appreciate 
after his old successful era. The same thing with uh, with uh, Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis, he came after uh, a world champion, and he, he had to sustain another level of success, and he did that, and he did it in a way. And I learned to respect Lennox Lewis and appreciate him and, and really value what he brought to the game. And all the things that you forementioned about Lennox Lewis were so true. And uh, to this day, I think that Lennox Lewis was a game changer and on some levels of the heavyweight division and the way that we look at the fights today. He, he, Lennox Lewis is stellar. I, I, I love the guy. He's great. Did you, but, but did you like him out of the gate? No, I didn't. I didn't like him out of the gate. That's what I'm saying. I did not like him out of the gate. I learned to appreciate him, and I learned to value him because I went on what his ability and what he was doing in the sport of boxing in the heavyweight division. I learned to appreciate him and value him after he got out of the gate and everything else. No, I didn't like him out of, out of the gate for the same reasons because, you know, you use the media. It's your voice. And you're always crying wolf, or not wolf, you're always crying that, hey, I'm not respected the way I should be, uh, I, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Hey, fight fans are smart, all right? They recognize who and what and where and how they can formulate who's the best fighter out there, who who deserves the shot, who who's the champ. A good, loyal fight fan could always, uh, always, always look through the lines and, and see the truth. And Lennox Lewis was the truth at the time, and... Uh, I think uh, I think he didn't need to, to mention that as much. Uh, and, you know, that part of it is also promotion and everything else. you got to have good people behind you. And the best way that they could celebrate and, uh, and get your name out there in a, in a household fashion is by uh, the news clips, the releases, the, the humanitarian things that a fighter might do, uh, other things to make you more out of value and make you bigger than life. And there's been several fighters that are trying to, that have tried to do that, but there's only a few fighters that have really, really taken that on another level and uh, have grown with that success. And at the time, Larry Holmes and Lennox Lewis had a hard time getting out of the gate in the foreshadows of who the, the predecessor was as the heavyweight champion of the world. We're going to take a short break. When I come back, I got some emails. Then we're going to break down the uh, two of the three uh a big fight scheduled for this weekend, so don't go anywhere. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there, Jeremy. Man, uh, I need you to take this one. All right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C? Damn it! Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? back you're watching and listening to the billy c show glad you could be with us and uh right now i got uh looks like three more emails and then we're going to break down the uh uh two of the three big fights scheduled for this weekend um and don't forget for uh, everybody uh, watching or listening to the show and even if you're not watching live uh, we got uh, the return of our trivia question now these trivia questions are not easy and the way they work is it's pretty simple. If you are the first one to answer it correctly by emailing us, and we only take the emails, 
so whether you're in a chat room or anywhere else, it doesn't matter if you get it right. You got to email because the way we determine who's the first correct answer is by the email timestamp. So, and we've literally had people winning these uh, by a matter of minutes being uh, first uh, uh, before uh, other people have guessed it. It's not like uh, everybody that gets it right uh, will win. It's the person who gets it right first uh, will win. But uh, in any event, uh, a couple more emails. This first one uh, of the last three here is from my man, Coach. He says, hey, Billy C., have you watched your man, Bob Bennett, um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Having watched your man, Bob Bennett, approve pro-debuting boxer Conor McGregor for Floyd Mayfay's so-called record-breaking 50th win fight, what's your thoughts on the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, not approving unbeaten Jamie uh, Maguya, who's 28-0 with 24 knockouts, as Triple G's replacement uh, for May 5th? Maguya had just stopped Johnny Noretti in three rounds in March. Um, well, I, I mean, if they're trying to get a name, first of all, the Nevada State Athletic Commission should not be worrying about a big name or whether it's pay-per-view worthy or anything like that. If that was part of their decision, I don't know. But a record of 28-0 with 24 knockouts um, and I don't, re I'm not familiar with Maguire, so I, I really don't know who he's beaten uh, for those uh, 28 wins. But the way Coach puts it here, Sal, says it all. I mean, Bob Bennett approved uh, Conor McGregor, a pro debuting fighter, never fought uh, in a boxing ring in his life uh, against a, at that time, 49 and 0. Uh, fighter in Floyd Mayweather, multi-division world champion, first ballot Hall of Famer, all those things. Um, talk about uh, uh, putting someone in harm's way. Not that Mayweather is a knockout puncher, but uh, um, I t certainly understand Coach's point here. It doesn't make any sense. What's your thoughts? Well, we <clears throat> often share the same sentiments about that, and uh, I do in this situation too. I think it uh, it doesn't make as much sense there, and uh, I, I I appreciate that email from Coach pointing that out. Um, the uh, um, next uh, email I got um, this one. Uh, let's see, this one um, is from Chuck. Um, Hey, Billy C. and Sal, my name is Chuck, and I live on Jekyll Island. Oh, here we go. Hey, here we Chuck. Go. Uh, I go to Sal's whenever we can get in a table because I refuse, whenever we can get a table because I refuse to eat outside. And I have listened on WGIG. Now I'm listening every day on BillyCBoxing.com. Wow. I love the Thank show. You, Chuck. Um, he says, uh, but I do have a question. Will you be doing... The Triple G Show at Sal's on May 5th. Um, thanks for the email, Chuck. Uh, Jekyll Island, for anybody that doesn't know, they, they, they call them the Golden Isles. There's three islands, uh, Jekyll Island, uh, Sea Island, and then, of course, St. Simon's Island. And, um, you know, so they're all very close. So I guess all three are in the WGIG uh, listening area, huh, Sal? Oh, yeah, and even more. WGIG does... Uh, span out quite a bit, of course, you know, because we're we're not that highly populated of an area, so uh, they do have quite a range, including uh, Cumberland Island, St. Mary's. Uh, I think uh, they they do go quite a bit. 
But I didn't hear the rest of the question or whatever because for some reason my sound went out during that. Um, he wants to know if we're doing an event at your place. I guess he's heard of the, us doing stuff at your place in the past, but wants to know if we're doing the Triple G show on May 5th at South. Um, I, 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 we, Sal, we Sal will make that, that decision. If, we'll if, get back to you, was, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? We're going to get back to you on that. But, uh, you know, that was some of the things that – those were some of the things that Billy, G, uh, Billy C. and I were discussing. You know, what big fights signify us to do a big event? And, and certainly we, we definitely had our sights on Triple G and uh, Canelo Alvarez. Now, uh, in this situation for that date, as it wasn't if, it's hard for us to, 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 to change gears as quickly as, as a fight can. Um, when we're still not 100% sure that even that date, uh, I think it's going to take place, but it, we don't know against the opponent and it's going to be up here very soon. It's a month away. So that one we're going to bypass. I would like to say here and now that if there is a Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua event, I hope we do one of our biggest and best ever. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, we got one other one here. This one's from uh, my man Johnston, who's um, given us the, his uh, fight predictions, and that'll be a segue, right, for ours. Uh, my man Johnston, you can uh, check his uh, column up on uh, uh, BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, hey, Billy C. and Sal, um, for the DeGal Truax fight, the IBF super middleweight champion has had 34 fights, accumulated 215 rounds, a 53% knockout ratio, Combined opponent record of 614, 225, and 35. Chunky has fought um, 186 rounds in 26 fights and has a ratio, knockout ratio of 54%. His opponent's 520, 96, and 13. That's pretty good. Um, for the Londoner to retain his title. No, you mean regain. For the Londoner to regain his title, can't surrender the center of the ring as he often did in the first fight. Uh, he needs to use his right hand more effectively, which prevent Truax from fighting on his front foot. The gal also needs more head movement and maintain his southpaw stance rather than switching. Uh, correct these mistakes, and it will be an easy night for the gal. But how much of the old the gal is left? I don't think Truax will have improved, nor will he be able to change his approach. So I'm giving the uh, a win uh, by late stoppage. He says in the Lara Heard fight, in my eyes, I consider Arslanian Lara undefeated. The Paul Williams loss was a, a robbery. And the one uh, of the most shocking decisions I ever witnessed in boxing. I also had him uh, down as beating Canelo, or at the very minimum, he should have deserved the draw. Uh, Lara is a WBA champ who's fought 29 times, and he's got uh, uh, a combined uh, record 631-139-16 against opponents. Hurt is the undefeated champ. He's fought uh, 98 rounds. Um, and he's got a record of 206-104-19 against opponents. Lara could w box well uh, to a comfortable victory with his excellent ring craft, but I don't think he's the same fighter he was two or three years ago. Hurd is a huge super welterweight, and I'm sure he will move up to middle soon. By no means is he a massive puncher, but he's got pop. This is an excellent and close fight, but I'm going with the underdog here with Hurd becoming the first man to stop Lara. Well, with that wow. said, uh, let's take a look at these fights. Um, first and foremost, uh, Julian uh, J. Rock Williams against Nathan Nathaniel Gillimore. Um, I'm not uh, going to break down and give you my predictions on that one. 
Uh, not that I don't like the fight. I just didn't do it. Um, so the first one I'm going to break down is the Khalib Truax uh, against James DeGal. And in that fight, Truax is uh, ranked at number eight in the world by the computer at super middleweight. He's 34 years old. He's currently the IBF world uh, super middleweight champion. Six foot tall with a 75 inch reach. 29 uh, and three. Uh, 18 of his wins coming by knockout. In his three losses, he was stopped twice. And he also has a couple of draws. He's fought 215 rounds as a pro with a 53% knockout ratio. Khalib Truax, um, you know, when, when I look at this guy's record, and I see basically his whole body of work. You now, keeping in mind, his draw came against Phil Williams, who was 11 and three out of Minnesota. Um, he lost to Jermaine Taylor via a 10 round unanimous decision back in 2012. Um, he fought from 2013 through uh, 2014 uh, and beat. Uh, with the exception of Ozzy Duran, who he had a draw with, Matt Vander, Donovan George, uh, Caresio Fort, Derek Enos, and Scott Sigmund. And like I said, he fought Ozzy Duran as well in there, but got a 10-round draw. He beat all the other names, which are decent opponents, but they're B-level opponents. None of these guys were really top guys. When he did step in the ring with a top opponent, or at least a, a you know either a top or a very good opponent, He's come up short. As a matter of fact, he's been knocked out both times. Daniel Jacobs knocked him out in the 12th and final round uh, of a fight that he challenged Danny for his then WBA world title. Um, he also lost by a quick stoppage against Anthony Durrell uh, in 2016. Now, his last uh, two uh, uh, fights were against good opposition, he fought Keandre Leatherwood in uh, August of last year, won a 10-round decision. Uh, I'm sorry, stopped him in the 10th round of a 10-round fight. And then he wrestled James DeGale's IBF uh, uh, world title uh, from him in his last fight, which was in December of last year, via a very close and questionable decision. Um, it was uh, a majority decision. Now, this fight was actually a pretty good fight. Um, Khalib Truax, uh, his two losses against good opposition, uh, I mean, uh, and, and his own, and his two last wins were against good opposition. Aside from that, not so much. Or Sandy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, James DeGal, uh, former, uh, champion. He's ranked number 12 by the computer. He's a Southpaw, very similar in size, six foot tall, 74 inch reach. He's 23 and two with a draw. 14 of his wins came by knockout. Uh, his uh, uh, two losses, uh, neither uh, were uh, were due to stoppage. He was in a great fight with Badeau Jack last year in January. Uh, both fighters hit the canvas, and it turned out to be a draw, which I was okay with. I mean, that fight was a draw. Um, his last fight was his majority decision loss uh, to, to Truax, so making his last two fights majority decisions, close fights, but when you look at this guy's resume, he's fought way better opposition. In his last fights alone, five wins, one loss, one draw. The one loss in his last fight against Truax, the one draw at the fight before against Jack. But look at the other wins. Porco Medina, Lucien Butte, Andre Durrell, Marco Antonio Peribon, and Brandon Gonzalez was a, a guy that was on his way up 
18 and 0 at the time when they fought and uh, many people thought that this was going to be the new guy and uh, uh, James DeGal beat him the other thing I love about James DeGal take a look at his resume he fought in his second pro fight a 5 and 0 guy in his seventh pro fight, he fought a 15-1 guy in Sam Horton, winning all of these, by the way. In his ninth pro fight, he fought Paul Smith, the same Paul Smith that just uh, was in the uh, World Series of Boxing uh, Super Series for the uh, middleweights. He fought super middleweights. He fought Georgie Groves in 2011 in his 11th pro fight. I always say how the UK fighters are not afraid to fight real fights early on. James DeGal is a perfect example of it. He's 32 years old, but Khalib Truex is 34. It's an extremely close fight. I agree with Johnston Brown on this one. Um, you know, how much does James DeGal have left? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think that James DeGal has enough left to beat Khalib Truex. No disrespect to Truex, but his resume speaks for itself. This is a guy that has not fought the same level of opposition as James DeGal, and I personally think that he uh, may have taken this fight lightly, uh, resulting uh, in his loss. Sal, how do you see this fight? So, I'm by the way, I'm officially picking James DeGal to uh, regain his title. How, how do you see this fight going? I'm also going to be uh, out there with you, Bill. I'm going to also pick James DeGal to regain his title and beat Truax in this fight. I think it's going to be a good fight. I think James DeGaulle uh, is ready for it. I think mentally, physically, he's going to be prepared, and he knows uh, his twilight of his career is, is upon him, as as is Truax possibly. But I think that uh, he's got to fight, and he's got to have this uh, incentive to get this title back and to beat Truax when he's going to be at his best. And he has a pedigree background with, with some of the fighters that you mentioned, the beating. And I think uh, I think when uh, push comes to shove, I think DeGaulle is going to be victorious in this, this weekend. Um, the next fight and last fight I'm going to uh, break down uh, is uh, what I think is the best fight uh, of the weekend. And uh, that is Ursandi uh, uh, Lara against um, uh, Jarrett Hurd. Uh, before I give you the breakdowns, I'll give you uh, some quotes. Um, Jarrett Hurd says, no matter what kind of fight he brings, I'm going to stick to my game plan. He has to fight at my pace, no matter what. He comes with, I'm going to be in charge in that ring. At the end of the day, you don't have to worry about Lara running away because I'm going to be in his face for 12 rounds. I'm much faster than Angulo was. I'm much sharper than Angulo was. And I hit harder than Angulo did. And I'm much bigger. So physically, when I'm in there, uh, on him in the ring, he's going to feel it. He couldn't take the pressure and style from Angulo. He's going to be in for a long night when he steps in the ring against me. Um, Ursulani Lara said, all of my opponents are taller than me. His size means nothing to me. I have experience and I'm the best boxer in this division. He's never seen anything like me. He has to beat uh, me to get the top spot in this division. I'm here to make sure that that doesn't happen. He keeps mentioning how it's going to be Angulo this and Angulo that. Well, Angulo connected on me twice, but uh, don't forget how that fight finished. I ended Angulo's career. I ruined his career. I put him out at the top level of boxing. If Jared Hurd thinks he's going to come in like that, then I'm going to end his career too at 27 years old. So come fight time, I'm hoping he puts that pressure on so I can ruin his career for all the talking that he's been doing. Um, 
And by the way, Angulo is uh, fighting again. But uh, uh, so here's how I think this fight's going to go. Jared Hurd is a monster for the junior middleweight division. He's 27 years old, seven years younger than Sandy Lara. He's currently the IBF World Junior Middleweight Champion. He's six foot one, which is a four inch advantage over Lara. And he's got a two and a half inch reach advantage at 76 and a half inches. He's undefeated, 21 wins, 15 coming by knockout. He has not fought 100 rounds yet. He's fought 98 to be exact. And he's got a 71% knockout ratio. When you look at Jared Hurd's career, it took him 17, boys and girls, count them, 17 fights before they put him in with a real opponent. And that guy was Frank Galarza, and that took place in 2015. This is exactly my point about U.S. fighters and the path that they take versus the U.K. fighters who are tested early on. You have a pretty good idea of where your fighter is if your fighter is in the UK, you know where he is talent-wise early on. In the US, they say that the talent is there, but we never find out till later on. Now, in Jared Hurd's case, he's stepped up to the task. After his 17th fight, and it was a knockout win over Frank Galarza, his last um, uh, four opponents have been pretty decent. He beat Oscar uh, Molina, uh, uh, Iowa, Dan, Dan, you know, Dan, Dan, I don't know what they, they call him. Jojo Dan, I think is, is what we refer to him as stopped him in six. Also, Tony Harrison was a, a high fast rising uh, fighter that he stopped and a former world champion, Austin Trout quit on his stool, uh, in uh, the 10th round after taking a hellacious beating. Jared Hurd's a big guy and he's young. He steps in the ring against Erslandi Lara. Now, they both of these guys have world titles, um, but uh, Erslandi Lara has held on to his world title for the past five years. He's actually a unified champion. He has the WBA's, and there's a case with the WBA. This is why I think they're garbage. This is why I rate them number five out of the top five. Uh, he has their super world junior middleweight champion. Uh, because they also have a regular w, uh, WBA uh, junior middleweight champ. Uh, and he also holds the IBO uh, super uh, welterweight or junior middleweight uh, championship, however you want to look at it. He's 34 years old. He's seven years older. He's ranked at number one in the world at super welterweight, junior middleweight uh, by the computer. By the way, Jared Hurd was ranked number three. Uh, his He is a southpaw. He is given up four inches of reach. Um, his record, 23 wins, 14 by knockout. He's got two losses in which he was never stopped and two draws. He's got almost 100 rounds of ring experience more than Jared Hurd. Uh, his two losses uh, against Paul Williams and Canelo Alvarez, I both thought he won both of those fights, in my opinion. Even the Canelo fight, I thought he won. Um, when you look at this guy's record from 2011 all the way to the current time, which was his last fight in 2017 against uh, former Olympian Terrell Goshua, uh, he has fought only top opposition. The names are endless. Uh, you could go down and look, uh, all, go all the way back to 2011 before you can even question uh, the level of opposition. Uh, Urslandi Lara is getting on in age. He is from Cuba. And this is a guy that can knock you out or he can beat you by decision. 
Jared Hurd has never faced anybody uh, of that this magnitude. Now it comes down to the age-old question, youth versus age and size versus a smaller guy. The old saying in boxing, a good big guy will always beat a good small guy. I think Orslandi Lara's got one more really good fight in him left against a top guy. Now, whether Jared Hurd is that top guy or not, we do know that he has a hard time making weight and that he will soon move up to middleweight. Uh, I would hope so. He's a monster. He's going to look like he's five weight classes bigger than Lara, but Jared Hurd has never fought a guy who can box like Lara. Um, I'm picking Lara. I think that this is going to be a tactical fight. It's not going to go down as one of the most exciting fights. I think Hurd is going to try to knock out uh, Lara, and uh, if he connects, he very well may. And, you know, I'm rolling the dice here. Uh, I think Hurd is bigger, stronger, and if he does connect with Lara, he's going to win by knockout. But if he doesn't win by knockout, Lara's going to win by decision. My official pick is Sir Sandy Lara making a successful defense and picking up uh, a third title in the junior uh, middleweight division. Sal, what's your thoughts? I would like to see Osanay Lara uh, win this fight. Uh, I, I think he is a, is a far more experienced uh, fighter with the background and the opposition that he faced, and he's got the more uh, uh, proven rounds under his belt. Uh, he's definitely capable of it. He's a good boxer, and I, I think he definitely uh, could fight a bigger guy like uh, uh, Jared Hurd. I do think, though, over the course of the fight, there's going to be times where Jared Hurd is going to be connecting and landing and maybe slowing down Lara. And although I really would like to see Lara outbox and win and do this, I think Jared Hurd has too much to prove and too much to show that he's going to be uh, not going to let the, the, the wise guy, uh, the wiser man, with the fighter boxer outbox him for the 12 rounds. So I think Jared Hurd is going to catch him. I don't think it's going to be early. I think it's going to be middle to late. And I think uh, Jared Hurd is going to wind up uh, putting some hurt onto Sande Lara. And he's going to win. By knockout? I think it'll be a stoppage. I think it'll be a late round stoppage. Later yeah, so, in the fight. So it's good. Okay. All right. Yeah, by, by, by the, between the 10th and 12th round, I think that Jared Hurd is going to stop uh, Sande Lara. Um, there you have it. Uh, so uh, enjoy those fights. We'll be talking about them on Monday. Um, just in conclusion here, because we're not taking a break here, um, just in conclusion, again, I want to reiterate a, a couple of my thoughts, and Sal, uh, I'm, I want to hear yours. As far as the Triple G um, fight against TBA, um, I think that Team Triple G, on one hand, I agree with them, that they want to continue to fight on May 5th. I think that that's important. I personally would have forgot about Vegas and went after the Billy Joe Saunders fight in June. Um, I think that he would have needed to make uh, some adjustments anyway uh, for, for his game plan against Billy Joe Saunders. And I think based on the same principle that we're always talking about, risk versus reward, I think that Triple G is making a mistake by fighting a lesser uh, opponent on May 5th, especially if HBO refuses to take it off the pay-per-view schedule. If it's on regular HBO, then okay. But if it's pay-per-view, the only name that I think would get decent numbers 
is Demetrius Andre. Now, whether Joe DeGuardi and Artie Palullo uh, are willing to come to earth with their demands, uh, they're certainly not going to get the Canelo money. Um, that remains to be seen. But if I'm Team Triple G, I'm looking for uh, Billy Joe Saunders' fight and then maybe, maybe another shot with uh, Daniel Jacobs. But if I'm Triple G's manager, I look for the biggest money fight, which is Billy Joe Saunders, and call it a day. That's what I would do uh, if I'm Triple G. There's no reason for him to linger on. Age is a terrible thing to mess with. And as far as I know, Father Time is undefeated. Uh, any final thoughts on, on uh, the Triple G T versus TBA on Cinco de Mayo? Well, I'll tell you what. I think uh, TBA is going to have to uh, make himself present <laughs> very soon because Cinco de Mayo is only uh, now it's going to be less than a month away. And um, we have to have somebody in the gym working and using this uh, four or five week period to focus on the opponent uh, as they should be focusing on each other. Uh, is that enough time? Yes, it is. But I, I think that uh, it's got to be something definitive and be something announced very shortly to today, this weekend. Um, and I think uh, a Sunday Laura, I mean, uh, I think that uh, Demetrius Andre and, and a couple of other guys out there are going to be less of an opponent for Triple G than a uh, Canelo Alvarez and uh, less than uh, uh, da uh, Daniel Jacobs or, or, or somebody else. Can it be uh, Daniel Jacobs? Could it be uh, somebody that we really want to see in there? I don't think it's going to be on May 5th, but I think uh, I think uh, next time out we'll see Triple G against uh, one of the guys, including maybe Canelo Alvarez, slated for maybe September or October. Yeah. I. Um... It's frustrating. I... I I don't see. I, I, I don't see that uh, that uh, really anyone of of stellar name performance or or, or uh, pay per view worthy is going to be slated for May fifth. I think it's not going to. I think uh, I think they're going to get a guy that's going to uh, look good, is going to have a chance, and everything else. But it's just not going to be the magnitude of uh, like a Daniel Jacobs rematch or something like that. Or, or uh, like uh, the other guy that we just talked about. Um, um, his name just slipped me. Um, champion. Uh, but uh, Demetrius I wish Andre, uh, Billy Joe Saunders. I, well, Billy, I Billy Joe, Billy Joe Saunders. I, that that fight there. If you if you listen to Billy Joe Saunders' team, that fight is being discussed for the fall, which yeah. is good news, in a sense in terms of not fighting Canelo. I don't think, you see, in boxing, it's all about positioning, maneuvering, right? So so the truth of the matter is, is Triple G, the knock on Triple G, at least by Canelo, and the actions by Triple G, is that he's the B-side. He's not the big draw. He's not the guy. You know, people love him. He, he Forget about that Triple G sells out no matter where he goes, et cetera, et cetera. But he wasn't the big draw. So he had to make the concessions. Canelo was the guy in the driver's seat for the first fight. And believe it or not, still in the second fight. But because Canelo now is labeled the cheetah, and the truth of the matter is, is Triple G's value went up for not even fighting, you don't want to lose that momentum, Sal. And the truth yeah. of the matter is, is if I'm Triple G, I have to look at just the way 
Eddie Hearn said, well, we got to map the rest of the year for AJ. Well, that's what Triple G's team has to do. They have to say, not only do we have to map out the rest of this year, but we got to map out the rest of his career. He's only got two or three good fights left in him. So what makes financial sense? Why take a risk of the same reasons we're always saying? Get a headbutt, or getting, uh, you know, tripping and falling, knock yourself out, uh, hurting your hand, whatever, right? So, so, you know, with all of that in, in place, you know, the truth of the matter is, is a fight against Billy Joe Saunders makes the most sense. If I was Triple G, I would have walked away from the Cinco de Mayo date in Vegas. Canelo blew that. I would have set the fight to fight Billy Joe Saunders in the UK for June. Push him back 30 days, whatever, right? Then, assuming he beats Billy Joe Saunders, now he's got all the belts. Now, if he decides, and this is a big if, because it would be Triple G's decision to decide if he wants to fight Canelo. And if he did, that changes the whole dynamic of the negotiation. Canelo has to come in as the B-side because he's still tainted as a cheater. And in the meantime, while he was serving his suspension, Triple G goes and wins the final belt. And he's got them all. No, this is a bad business decision by Team Triple G. They need to seek out the biggest money fight they can. And if they have to fight May 5th, if there were other deals that were made that, you know, uh, promises that have to be fulfilled, then the only way to get out of this unscathed is against Dimitri Sandre. That's my thoughts, Sal. Well, I think that would be a good replacement. I think it would be a good fight. And I think uh, that would be one that uh, that I definitely would be up for seeing. Uh, Demetrius Andre would put up a heck of a show. And I think it would be a great fight. And I think it would be... Uh, uh, one of those things that uh, any given night can happen. So, so uh, I do see that fight. I do see it. If it does come off, it would be a good fill-in. Um, I think there's other reasons, Bill, between you and I, and I can discuss this further off air. Or I can discuss it right now. I think, as you suggested, that Triple G's twilight or his career has been mapped out, and I think uh, he, as you suggested, also only has maybe two or three good fights, good tough war fights left in him uh, at this stage of his career. He's he's been a stellar, remarkable fighter, and I think that I think that the Triple G camp's got to be very careful when and if they ever put him in the ring against Billy Joe Saunders. Like I said, Billy Joe Saunders was really nothing on my radar. But the Billy Joe Saunders that I saw dismantle uh, the one-dimensional fighter, uh, um, uh, what the heck was his name, David Lemieux, who I, who I like very much. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you why. And his size, that I saw Billy Joe Saunders, he looked like a light heavyweight. I, I don't know if Billy Joe Saunders is going to be on the forefront right away for Triple G to fight. I think Triple G and the camp of Triple G, I think they do still see a possibility of maybe fighting later on, maybe September, uh, Canelo Alvarez, once all this thing has been signed, sealed, delivered. So I think he's going to step up, and my prediction will be that this fight that takes place uh, May 5th will be uh, a, a good fight. It's going to be a, a not a showcase fight, but I think it'll be a good fight. But I definitely think that Canelo Alvarez is still going to be on a Triple G radar for a multitude of reasons. And I think finally the, the last fight we'll see will be Billy Joe Saunders. And that fight, I'll tell you right now, um, Triple G's got to be up for that one because, like I said, on any given night, 
the Billy Joe Saunders, I saw dismantle Dave Lemieux that night. Even though Dave Lemieux is a one-dimensional powerhouse puncher, this and that, he never had a chance. He never had a – he wasn't even in that fight. And I think that Billy Joe Saunders is capable of doing a lot. And I'm not sure if I want to just uh, see him face Triple G just now. Yeah, we can't – we definitely can't compare uh... – uh, Billy Joe Saunders. I, I mean, we can't compare David Lemieux with uh, Triple G, but I want to give yeah. a shout-out to my man Johnston. Uh, just gave us a super chat, Sal, but uh, there's a catch. There's a question. He wants a to question. know, he says, as we're discussing Lara, what is the worst decision uh, you and Sal have ever witnessed in boxing? Uh, Johnston says Lara versus Williams is one of his. Uh, it was uh, uh, absolute liberty which must be a British term for absolute robbery. I don't know. But uh, I agree that uh, Ursulandi Lara and Paul Williams was was a terrible decision. Um, we were talking about the Meldrick Taylor, Julio Cesar Chavez uh, decision from Richard Steele to, to wave that fight off. That was, that was pretty much up there. And uh, although we're going to get to it in a couple of minutes here, um, not that it was a terrible decision per se, and today happens to be the anniversary of that uh, mega fight, but uh, the Sugar Ray Leonard against Marvelous Marvin Hagler fight, um, I watched that fight many times. Uh, I saw it uh, uh, live when it, when it happened. Uh, we actually, up at the Hall of Fame one year, we did a, um, a, a uh, uh, we got a bunch of us together and we, we scored the fight with no sound. Um, over the years, I've always come up with the same score. And a lot of people change the score without the sound. But over the years, I came up with the same score over and over and over in the Hagler-Sugar uh, Ray Leonard fight. And that score was even. I scored the fight even. And the reason why I say it was one of the worst decisions is because up until that fight, now you got to remember, boys and girls, up until that fight, because another bad decision I remember watching was... Um, Muhammad Ali against Jimmy Young. Jimmy, Jimmy Young, Young battered Jimmy Muhammad Young Ali. He battered him from ring post to battered. ring post for, for 15 rounds on ABC Wild World yeah. of Sports, and they gave the decision to Ali. Now, now the, the, the reason they gave the decision to Ali was because it was the unwritten rule in boxing at the time that you had yes. to decisively beat the champion to wrestle the belt from him. You had to beat yeah. him. You had to either batter him for, for the length of the fight or you had to knock him out. Otherwise, you remain the champ. And with that said, Sugar Ray Leonard, as much as I respect this man for coming out of retirement and going after a guy that was pretty much controlling the middleweight division, a division bigger than Sugar Ray Leonard's to begin with, for almost a decade, and, and that's what true champions do. That's what true all-time greats do. They they do things that are out of the ordinary, and Sugar Ray Leonard certainly did that. But he did not beat Hagler enough, in my opinion, to justify giving the title to him. If you want to give him a draw, it would have set us up for a rematch. It would have rewarded the sport of boxing, etc., etc. But for the powers to be to give him the victory, and not only give him the victory, but give him the title and everything. We lost Hagler forever, and, and Hagler was at the end of his career anyway. And I've always looked at that as one of the most, you know, terrible decisions ever, even though it was a close fight. What was yours, Sal? 
Well, you know what I once shared with you off air about that fight, my opinions and what happened there. But uh, I, I, I will just say this on the, on the uh, airs that, uh, yeah, that was a frustrating fight for me to watch because I, I, I saw the fight and I saw literally Sugar Ray being a, a smart boxer in that fight. And literally I, I, I saw him steal the rounds uh, that he was given. Uh, not steal. I mean, he just closed the show. He closed the end of the rounds, 30 seconds, a minute, in, a minute out. Uh, that gave the judges a lot of what they last saw from Sugar Ray Leonard to give them the rounds. But, you know, all in all, uh, it, it was my money was on Hagler that night and uh, for a multitude of reasons, as guess what? The majority of the betting public was also. Uh, so to see it upset as it was, uh, and Sugar Ray Leonard, who is a superior, just a fantastic athlete and boxer, and I give him all the credit in the world. Yeah, I was uh, very frustrated with seeing that fight and the way it ended. And then you seeing Marvin Hagler just uh, disappear from the face of boxing. That was his last uh, known presence in a ring uh, for decades. Uh, he disappeared to Italy and uh, became a, a, an acting superstar, action hero over there. So, uh, you know, that was uh, something that nobody anticipated. But uh, and he ended it, up with what it was. And he ended up marrying this hot, hot blonde. Oh, God. Lucky, lucky uh, Marvin. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, um, all right, it's that time. We're introducing uh -oh. our trivia question again. Uh, we had a lot of fun with this. We used to give out prizes all the time. Uh, we have not kicked it off. I don't think we've kicked it off yet for 2018, but we're going to today. So here's how it works. For all the new viewers and listeners, uh, specifically, I'm, I'm actually challenging some of the guys that are on the YouTube uh, boxing community. I'm uh, trying to get uh, uh, more people to subscribe to us. We, 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 we're starting to love the, box, the YouTube boxing community, so uh, we want a, a bigger presence there. So uh, and, and in our chat room, we noticed that we have a lot of uh, – uh, knowledgeable people so um, I'm gonna see who's gonna get this answer correct first now it's open to anybody whether you're watching live right now on TV or radio dial or, or on our stream on YouTube on our websites or if you're listening on demand or on a podcast or, or radio delay whatever um, always answer the question do not assume that someone else already got it because the way these work is the first person to answer it correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing. It's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. If you're the first one to email me the correct answer, you're going to win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game, which is the same game that Alex Perpali does the uh, simulations in. It's a really good game. It's got uh, everybody in it. It's been accumulating data since the 70s. It's not a, a, a graphic, visually graphic game. Uh, it's more of a, uh, it's a simulation. You can adjust uh, the, the training methods. You can adjust who's the trainer, what, what kind of condition the fighter's in, what weight class, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the prize. So here's the question. Uh where is the question? I lost it already. <laughs> All right, here it is. I was ready to read. I'm going, wait a minute. That's not there the question. Here's the question. Again. Name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by stoppage. Name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by a stoppage. 
If you're the wow. first one to email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you'll win the Title Bout Championship computer game. Now, I'm not going to give any hints yet uh, because we're going to continue to read this until we get a winner. So name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by stoppage. If you're the first one to get this one correct, you'll win the prize. Email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. Dot com. Hey, uh, Sal, you got any uh, ideas? You want to ruin it for everybody? Who do you think uh, uh, won that? Um, Jack Dempsey? No, it's not Jack Dempsey. It's not Jake Jack Dempsey. But, uh, but we, will, uh, we will make sure we ask you uh, next time. All right? Okay. But uh, anyway. On this day in boxing, and uh, on this day in boxing history, April sixth, in nineteen fourteen, Al Kid McCoy knocks out George Chip in the first round to win the world middleweight title. It took place in Brooklyn, New York. Now you guys do know. I think I've told you this because this may be a trivia question down on. You know the real McCoy, right? That hey, well, that's the real McCoy right there. That's the real McCoy. That came from Kid McCoy. And the reason why that term came is because Kid McCoy was, uh, <clears throat> let's just say that he was implicated in several fights that were not so much on the level. And uh, sometimes, because uh, boxing was huge with the gambling community, it was uh, uh, much better than, you know, the odds were always much better than they are today. Um, so uh, when they said the real McCoy, that means... The real McCoy is coming into the ring. He's not going to lay down. He's not going to do it. But uh, anyway, I thought I'd pass that along. But anyway, that's uh, when he won that's the world. Trivian, uh, that's middle, trivian itself. It too. is. That's why I'm mentioning it. Uh, won the world middleweight title in Brooklyn on this day in 1914. And like I mentioned, uh, on this day, April 6th, uh, in 1987, uh, 31, is it 31 years already? Yeah. Um, 31 years. Uh, 30 years. No, 30, 31 years uh, today. Yeah. Uh, on this day in 1987, Sugar Ray Leonard wins a 12-round decision over Marvin Hagler to win the WBC World Middleweight title. It took place in uh, Las Vegas, uh, and it was uh, one of the most uh, debated fights uh, in boxing history. What did you see that fight? That during that time you would I, I you just made me flashback. I'm going to tell you where I saw it. I remember. Oh, I remember me. because I had to go to a uh, civic center and watch it on a, a huge screen. It was closed circuit at the time, and uh, I went and saw that uh, there. And you know, it was. Uh, I remember the 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 fans were so split in that fight. I mean, Sugar Ray was always such a people loved Sugar Ray or they hated him, just like just like Ali. Uh, but but that fight and Marvin Hagler, Marvin Hagler, it, you know, I, 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 I blame the judges on this fight because it should have never went to Sugar Ray Leonard. But no. I will say this. Marvin Hagler didn't fight the right fight. If Marvin Hagler fought the fight that he fought against Tommy Hearns, we wouldn't be having this discussion today. Instead, Marvin Hagler implemented a, a game plan that made no sense. He tried to outbox Sugar Ray Leonard, which wasn't going to happen. Sugar Ray Leonard, like you mentioned, was uh, he was he became the guy who started letting people know you could steal rounds in the last thirty seconds um, with his shoe shine punches and stuff. 
um, Hagler, um, some of his, uh, some of his actions in the corner, uh, just you know, making it. He he, he kind of he has his head was down. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It was uh, it was it's well, that's the reason it's one of the most debated fights in boxing history. Where'd you see it? Oh, absolutely. I saw it. I was a guest of a very uh, special lady friend at the time. Uh, I met her. She was Boom Boom Mancini's date when I fought out in Akron at the Tangiers. Boom Boom was ringside because I fought a common opponent that Boom Boom faced about six months or a year earlier. And uh, I met this young lady, and uh, she wound up moving out to New York, and uh, we we uh, we saw each other for a while. And she invited me. We went to SPQR, the restaurant in Little Italy. And we saw this fight, and boy, I'll tell you, man, it was a great show with great food and a great display on a screen, closed circuit. But uh, I'll tell you, it was a definitely a, a different ending than what I anticipated. But that's where I was in Little Italy, watching that in New York City. Yeah, it's 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 a shame because uh, they did uh, Hagler wrong. Even though it was a great performance by Sugar Ray, it, it, that's it why that's why a draw would have made so much sense because both fighters would have been. Uh, rewarded. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. That's uh, that's a tough one. But uh, anyway, also on this day, April sixth in eighteen seventy-eight, Sal Rocky Senecola made his pro debut. No kidding, hey, Sal. Hey, hey, man, that no, was a good one too. No. On this day, April sixth in eighteen seventy-eight, the first gloved boxing bout. Under the Marque, uh, Marquez of Queensbury boxing rules, took place in New York. It had W. H. McClellan beat Mike Donovan via a 16th round decision uh, disqualification. Now, Mike Donovan, his son Art Donovan, is known was known as a great boxing referee. You guys have seen him uh, do uh, a lot. Now, Mike Donovan was his uh, father. And his grandson, Art Donovan Jr., was an all-pro lineman uh, in the NFL for the Baltimore Colts. So uh, the Donovans were a, a very athletic family. But, uh, but Mike Donovan was involved uh, in the uh, very first uh, gloved boxing fight in New York under the Marquez of uh, Queensbury boxing rules. So uh, interesting stuff happening on this day, April 6th in uh, boxing history. Um, listen, boys and girls, enjoy the fights this weekend. We got a triple header going on, so make sure you watch it because uh, we will be talking about those fights come Monday morning. So, without further ado, make sure you tune in Monday morning. Same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na